going to go ahead and get started. And uh, just pointing out kind of what's going on, uh, the, those of us that will be teaching this track together are myself, I'm the senior minister at the Crossings Church. Ben is the senior minister at the Interbelt Church, which is uh, one of our, our first church plants in 2014. Uh, along with us will be Jake in the back. He'll be a part of the track, and uh, you know, uh, we'll kind of all get together and at the end and maybe have a chance for you guys to ask some questions. And then Clint is a guy that uh, will be also, uh, will, he and I will be doing a session together. Uh, he has uh, moved here in order to, uh, to plant a church, uh, had been on staff at Park Plaza in Tulsa, but had some specific uh, things that he wanted to develop, and so we're, we're working on that. And so, uh, again, it's, you get to see generational flow. And I would encourage you guys, anytime that you uh, listen to anybody about church planting and growing churches, make sure you've got somebody that you're listening to who, is, who has done it and is staying very loyal to the word. And when I mean done it, I don't mean, you know, done it and failed. Uh, we all know that churches are closing across America at an alarming rate, but about somewhere between 80 and 90% of church plants will fail ultimately. And one of the scary things for me is it's very easy as I lost, listen to a lot of church planters and I'll say, hey, uh, you know, well, it was God's season. He wanted the church, you know, shut down. And usually it had very little to do with God's season. It had to do with a lack of seasoning in the part of those that were leading that church, in my opinion. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma on a seminar and I was went to a class about church planting. And uh, it was a workshop, actually. And I was one of the keynotes that year, a fairly large workshop. And Carrie and I went to a church plant, church planting thing, and we're like, man, these guys that were teaching the class were annoying. I mean, I'm like, and Carrie leaned over to me, goes, do these guys annoy you? And I said, the one I want to kill. And, uh, and you know, it was just, and, and I'm going, why are they so annoying? And there was a lot of facts and our stuff. And after it was all over, somebody asked the question, well, when you planted your church, how did you do this? And he said, oh, well, we've never planted a church. They were experts, okay? And you know, a guy in an X is a has been a spurt, a drip under pressure. And so that's kind of the definition of, of expert for them. Let me encourage you to make sure that you're you're listening to, to people that are not just theoretical. Because one of the reasons I'm convinced that church plants fail is because there are tons of people that can give advice and very few that can give practical training. And none of us have it all together, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is you need to find a model that can be demonstrated to have worked within your context, uh, your culture, you know, everything that works in Africa doesn't work in the States. Everything that works in China does not work in the States. And, you know, that's that's a reality. So we're going to pray and then we're going to talk about the, the basis of really uh, of, of, of a church plant being successful and even your church within you, within your small groups. If you're a part of a small group, uh, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a significant small group that's pretty important to your to your church. What we're talking about here transfers from a whole church plant where if you're trying just to plant a successful group within a church that may not be successful. So Ben, why don't you lead us in prayer? And then Ben and I will will, will actually jump into the lesson. I'll say a few more words and then we'll go on over that, okay? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just being able to be here at CMU. Uh, been away from campus uh, for a while, but uh, we're still all together and doing your will, Lord. Uh, thank you for, for the speakers that have been here. Help us to, to be able to talk about the truth of your word and, and really that people have open ears to, to listen to the things that are being said, Lord, and, and be open to it. Lord, thank you for 
your son and his incredible sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about from Acts to Asia. But we're going to spend a lot of time in the Gospels. And the reason why we're in the Gospels and we'll be going Gospels, Acts, is because the foundation for the Acts incredible church for the 3,000 conversions, for the multiplying for a church that some would say got up to 50,000 people. The foundation for Acts 2 results is laid in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you see Peter and the apostles orchestrating, they learned from Jesus in the Gospels. And at the Crossing Church, you know, I did a sermon series a few years ago called Do Sweat the Small Stuff. You know, you hear that there's a, there's a cliche that says, don't sweat the small stuff. And there's there's biblical, you know, principle for don't get too excited about, you know, little details. Uh, don't worry about things that you can't do anything about. But we need to sweat the small stuff when it comes to our small groups because all the big stuff that happens is a result of all the small stuff. We have people come in on Sunday mornings sometimes and they'll go, man, I love that. And you guys last night, who could not love the environment last night? Who could not go, man, this was cool. And so then they go, man, we want to have that. But they don't understand that the big stuff is the byproduct of the small stuff. That there is a cause and effect. The effect is this, this good service where people are, are together and they're worshiping and they're listening and they're doing all. That's the effect. The cause is the small stuff that happens before that in the lives of the college students, in the lives of disciples within a church. And so church planting and church development, those are great big things that you get all excited about. But the problem is people just decide, I'm going to plant a church, but they've really not given detail to the small stuff. And to replicate the results of Jesus and his apostles, we must replicate the mindset and the methodology of Jesus. Because methods are, for you and I, we may have a preferable method, but there is a clear methodology that Jesus has throughout all the gospels. And then it shows up in the Acts church and it shows up in the apostles later on. So as we talk about this, you know, if we're saying, hey, how are you going to, how are you to build, build a core? The way that you build a core is looking back and seeing how did Jesus do that? So what we're talking about and everything we say, we're going to say like Jesus, the crossings is not a trendy church. It's just not. If you look at what we're doing now, it's the same steps that I was teaching literally 40 years ago. Hopefully, I'm a little wiser, I'm a little better at it, and it's what we'll be teaching in 40 years. You're not going to ride this roller coaster of methodology and, and uh, moods when you're at the crossings. And the reason that we don't have that, that roller coaster of getting the newest, hottest thing, man, we're going to buy into that and then you trash it. I've been around in ministry long enough to watch dozens of methods come and go. You've got this, the one-shot approach. Then you've got the OBS. And then you've got, and there's, you guys can name the ones when you go to seminars that are, that are the cool ones for the moment. And ours is really consistent what we do is because it's really grounded in the ministry of Jesus. That we're trying to replicate. We're not trying to create something new. We're trying to recreate something. And in the truest sense of a good concept of the restoration movement is to restore the ministry and method of Jesus. And our heritage has done a lot of good job, of, uh, a good job sometimes on some restoration of some things, but we've not spent much time on saying, how do we restore the methods and the ministry of Jesus? If you're going to restore anything, I'm thinking that's what you ought to restore. So everything we're talking about is going to be like Jesus, and we put that down so you know this isn't about our either our brilliance or our stupidity. 
okay? Uh, this is just about what did Jesus do? And I really believe it's about his wisdom. So John's going to kick us off here with the very first thing. Ben. Ben or John. But uh, so we're going <clears> to, <throat> sorry. So number one, like Jesus, I will enter the crowd. And the key to entering the crowd is purpose. Because a lot of, contrary to, to popular opinion, Jesus did not start with the core. Because we think, you know, he had his apostles and things he was going. But he had people following him. And he started, he started and found those people through the core. And it started with the, like we say, it's, it's the small stuff. Because of the small stuff. And eventually it did. I was, uh, I was going over the Master Plan Evangelism, you know, Robert Coleman. And you, if you haven't read that book, The Master Plan Evangelism, read it. And interesting, in the beginning, he's talking about how people have gone away from what Jesus actually did. And, and this was years ago that he talked about it. But isn't, like Robert said, isn't, isn't that what it should be? Is looking at his methods and really looking at the Gospels and saying, okay, what's Jesus doing here? He's going to find his people among the people that were there. He didn't go to the, to the Pharisees, the religious people at the time. He didn't go to the scholars, so let me go find these people who have known it for a while. He goes to, to the crowd to find people who, who he's going to be able to, cheat, to teach. Because a lot of times what happens is, for example, in a church plant, when we started a church plant 14, uh, eight years ago in 2014, uh, we had a core. And it was a group of people, a small group of people. But we knew that if we were going to grow, we were going to have to take out of the members and the people that were there they were going to be the ones who would grow to become the leaders in the church also. And today, a lot of those that I talked to back in the day, because we had 30 people that went on this church plant, have become leaders. Why? They were in the crowd at that time. But those are the ones who, who were ready to go, who, were, who, were, who, who at first they weren't leaders, but who became that and were developed into that. Because a lot of times what churches try to do is recruit leaders from other places. They try to go because they didn't find it in their place. They're going to go somewhere else and try to hire this person from, from somewhere else. And what happens a lot of times is because you don't know that person, you haven't trained in there, it becomes this, this sterile person that, that, that hasn't brought anybody. And they might have a name and they might have the degrees and all these things, but they haven't been proven because you've seen and helped them grow. And they came from that crowd because you helped them grow from the, from the very infancy of becoming a disciple. Because it's not about, we were talking about it, it's not about taking this foster person, you know, and, and trying to develop them. It's trying to develop the people from the crowd. So how do we find these people in the crowd? How do you do that? Because traditionally what churches have done is that, you know, it's the, the sign, and if you have this sign at your church, you know, I'm sorry, it's like, come worship with us, or, or come worship God with us. And Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't sitting in a place and say, come do this. He was out and talking to people in so many different situations that he was at. And one of the things that we do is, is, is I wanted to talk about three things. About going into the crowd and talking to people who are hurting. Finding those people who are hurting. Where do you find them? <laughs> everywhere. People are hurting everywhere. Uh, one of our, our things in, uh, in our cross chats when we, we invite people, uh, we tell our members, it says, look, this is your moment to talk about what what you've been through because that hurt that you have somebody in the crowd there is going to have that same hurt and one of my my favorite ones was uh one of the people that's actually here she's one of our leaders uh in, in our youth ministry 
And, and she started her story there when they asked, so how did you learn? And they asked, she said, well, I ran out of weed. And I was like, well, that's a weird way of starting a conversation, right? And then she ran, out to Sean, ran into Sean Gallagher, uh, who he thought, this guy must have weed. He's like one of our members. He had this long hair and stuff, right? This guy must have. And he gave her a hug and invited her to come to CrossChat. And it was from there, from that small group, that she was able. And, and she was telling her story. Why? Because she knew in that group that there were people that are hurting. Jesus did the same thing when he went uh, to, to, to Lazarus. Lazarus. And his, his, his sisters were hurting and the people were hurting because he had died. Jesus was there among the crowd, among the situations that we normally go through. When you go to a funeral, when you're around people that, that have issues, it's helping them to do that. Another situation that Jesus was in was partying, for example. <laughs> right? Jesus was, was uh, when he went to, uh, when, when he found Zacchaeus. And we know the story of Zacchaeus, you know, up in the tree. And he was there and he told him to come down. And he went and he went with them to his house. And they had this, this, this feast and things. He was there helping them. He was there to, to be able to, to connect to them, in, even in the good times. And we do that. We have our, you know, for example, our, uh, what's our Halloween thing? Spooktacular. <laughs> Spooktacular, which is something that we bring, I think, thousands of people to in, in, in different churches. And why do we do that? Because it's an opportunity to be among the crowd in the things that they do. And we go and do that, but not only in our events. One thing that when we were at our campus in Lindawood is realizing there's other events that we can just go to that other people set up that we can be there and connect to them. And that's what Jesus was. He was at, at uh, weddings. He was at different situations so that they could reach out to these people in the crowd. Another situation is, is where you are every day. Some of you here, a lot of you are at school, but some of you at work and where you are. And being able to, in those situations, like be able to connect. Jesus met the, the woman at the well. She was there doing what she did every day, wasn't she? getting water, and he knew there were going to be people there. Of course, Jesus knew in that situation that it was a lot bigger, but sometimes we don't understand that in these situations that we go to, you are there to pick from the crowd the people that are going to be able to become the leaders in your church. Not from, from, from th thinking, you know, let me, and we always have that situation where we think, oh, I think this person would be a good Christian. You ever feel like that? I feel like that so many times when we're choosing people, and we do that. But the truth of Christ is that it's not about being around the people that we're comfortable with. It's about being of the people that, that, that look at Jesus. He went and talked to a Samaritan woman at the well, somebody that any Jew would be completely uncomfortable to talk, with, talk to because he knows the prejudice they had and probably what was coming from the other side too. But understanding that God has sent us in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, where did he send us? Where? To all of the world. He didn't say go to all the world and find, you know, those people that were, are going to be some good Christians. He went to the people that were the most difficult. So when you're there and, and thinking about who, who are the people that are going to be my core, I've seen people come up from situations. One of the, the people I've known, I, I come, I, my dad's a missionary in Brazil and I was born and raised there uh, for most of my life. And one of the people that I've seen there that was the most effective came from a situation where he, he used to, before he became a Christian, 
he used to do sex shows, explicit sex shows in front of people. Weird, isn't it? And it was a situation where him, the, the preacher, a friend of mine, and this other guy, they were doing this, uh, this survey where they'd go up and talk to people and invite them to their, their Bible group. And in that situation, there was this guy at the park where they were going to do the survey, survey, and one guy said, let's go talk to that guy. And the preacher goes, yeah, I don't know about that guy. You know that feeling? That, that guy just didn't sound like he's going to be, and it was this guy who, who did these things. And they invited him to come and left, and while they're leaving, the guy says, hey, wait a minute. And he asks, let me ask you a question. Do you guys sin? And they said, yeah, we sin. God forgives us, you know, and, and we're covered and all, but, but we still sin. That guy was waiting for a bus. He was there because he was going to take a bus that was going to take him to another state in Brazil where he was moving to. And instead of doing that, he changed his ticket, went to the cross shed that night, loved it, went back to, got, went to the place where he was going to move to, brought all his stuff back, and became, and later became one of the leaders in that church. One of the most effective people. Sometimes we look at people and God is saying, look, it's out there in the crowd. Jesus was doing that. The people that he picked, we look at him, we're like, why would he pick those guys? We need to have a different mentality about it. If we're going to make a core of people, we're going to have to go in the crowd and even the ones that we would never think would be different. You know, uh, Jesus said one time, don't say four months and comes the harvest, but I tell you, Lift up your eyes, the fields are white for harvest. People ask us all the time, where do you get your leaders? And I tell them, lift up your eyes. They're everywhere where we go. And one of the things that I think God has blessed me with a gift, and also it's something I've developed, but when I see people, I almost immediately as I begin to talk with them, I have a vision for them. And I don't mean some Holy Spirit-inspired trance. What I'm saying is that because I know my background and the hopelessness of my situation, God has allowed me to be able to have hope for people that are as messed up as I was. But you guys, it, the problem is so often when, we, when we're forming a core, we form it from our friends and those that are religious people. So now what we have is we have a super religious core. If you look at our core at the crossings, you're going to find up it's a, it's a group of, of messed up people. I mean, in, in our core group of leaders, you have people that are, that are broken whether it would be myself or whether it would be Janice, whose father started sleeping with her when she was four, or Tim, who's one of our core leaders at the church, who was, whose mother and father were one a drug addict, the other alcoholic, and he grew up walking across the town with his little four- and five-year-old brother and sister in tow to, to walk across to a mile to the laundromat where he would beg money so he could wash his brother and sister's clothes. And he would come home and he would hook up a series of car batteries because the power had been off for so long. We have a very unusual core. And the reason we have an unusual core is because we're with a crowd. And it's through that crowd, that core, through all these, this diversity that now there is no situation we find ourselves into where somebody in that group doesn't go, yeah, I've been there, done that. And for you, so, so understand, I, there, there's nothing wrong with, with, you know, with saying, hey, I've got some people I like. But if you want to have a core the way Jesus did, he went out among the crowd. But that's not where it stops. So I'll enter like Jesus, a crowd, and like Jesus, I will call out disciples to form a core. Now, to call out means to separate or remove. And the key to calling out disciples, a core, is observing and praying. 
when Jesus is out, in John 17, it's very clear that the Bible says that God gave Jesus his followers. But in Mark, the Bible, Mark says when he, uh, when he says, talks about him calling them, it says that he called those that he wanted. So the question was, did God give them or did he choose the ones he wanted? The answer is yes. That's how it was. But as he was watching, and again, the significant thing is watching. He's watching. He's looking at responses to the preaching that's going on. He's seeing how are they responding to what he's saying. And I believe based upon as he watches them and he is around them and he prays, you know, before the calling of the disciples specifically, before he calls them and appoints them as apostles, he spends the night praying. But he's looking at those guys saying, hey, I, 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 I know who you are. And so he observed, he observed them before he appointed them. And Jesus did that, and I believe his apostles did too. Remember what Paul tells Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 2.2, which is kind of the hallmark verse for disciple making, when he said, Timothy, you need to make sure that you find some faithful men and entrust to them what I've entrusted to you. Another New American Standard says reliable. The faithfulness there is not talking about a doctrinal faithfulness. It's really just talking about reliability, that, that word there. But the point is, Timothy's in this church, and he's got people all around him, and Paul says, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to raise up people that are going to lead, you need to make sure that you don't just invest yourself with people who are not faithful because you'll find yourself spread thin and there won't be growth and development within that. In Acts, when they're picking out leaders, even for the waiting of the tables, remember, he says, hey, you guys, we need to know some people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It's not accidental that the guys, the first two guys, the only ones we really know about, one of them becomes the first martyr and the other becomes the first non-trained by Jesus evangelists, Philip and Stephen. They knew them. They observed them. They had that chance. And so you got you to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to be looking with these people, but as I work with them, as I watch them, I'm going to look for the most faithful ones. I'm going to look for the most committed ones. I'm going to look for the most loyal ones. And you need to define what is a faithful person, what is a reliable person. For us, it's a person who is really committed to obeying the word, they are committed to loving the other disciples with all their heart, and they're committed to loving the lost. And if we see that in those people, man, we're going, those are people that we can invest in. But you don't just start with your friends and buddies. Jesus didn't do that. He went into the crowds and he preached, and it was a, it was not, he didn't meet them one day and call them the next day. That's a fallacy of, of, that you hear in preaching a lot. Do some time. We don't have some time to deal with it now in, in studying the timetable of when Jesus first interacted with James or John or with, with Nathaniel. And then look and see how much longer it is until he calls them and uh, where he appoints them. And you'll find out, again, that before he appointed them, he observed them. What are they doing? Because I'm what you know, it, it, to be a to have a, a rabbi and to be a disciple that day was an exciting thing. But the problem is excitement is a poor fuel for character change. People that are naturally excitable like me, you know, I can get excited. You know, I could be doing something important and I'll get excited and everything important just goes to hell in a handbasket. You know what I mean? Squirrel, you know, anything that, that I like. It's just, you know, I'm distracted. I forget where I'm at. Where, what was I doing? There has to be something more than excitement. There has to be something substantial in that. So you start with a crowd like Jesus did. When you're going out, you're looking, you're sharing your faith. And if you're, if you're, if you're getting a, a, you know, a church plant team together, look broad. Look around at, at all the people because some of them that you think would go won't. 
And if they did go, they wouldn't do well. Ken Pruitt's running our sound. He's the guy I tell you about that are one of our core leaders. Someday we'll be an elder. God continues to, 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 I think, work in his life. When Tim, the very first time he came to the church that I was preaching, he and his girlfriend were living together. I don't think their child had been born yet. She may have been pregnant. I can't remember a while back, okay? But we were talking about planting churches and making disciples. And I mentioned that we were going to plant a church. It was going to have a group of our people. And sometime in the future, they're going to move and we're going to go to someplace else. I had no idea I would be on that first team. But Tim told me, he said, my wife and I, when we went home, we laughed at you. And he and I laughed and made fun of you. He looked at his wife and said, I don't know who that idiot thinks he is, but who's going to pick up their bags and move someplace and just go to start a new church? And he said, I became the idiot. <laughs> he was the one of our, on our very first church plant. But we got to watch him. We watched the re- way he responded to the truth that he was given. We watched how he was faithful in the small things, and it gave us an indicator of how he's going to be like. He didn't do it because we liked him, although we did. It was more than just personal affinity. It was about faithfulness and about knowing that Jesus invested in a small group because he knew he had to change them so he could multiply himself. And we were looking for people who would say, I want to make impact. It's, and it's a lot easier to, uh, to hire than to fire, isn't it? <laughs> you know, in those times with leaders where you're, you're thinking, you know, oh, this person's going to do well. What if it doesn't? Because you didn't observe, because you didn't have the time to, to understand who that person was. That you need a call, you need to observe, you need, I think one of the things that we've talked about is pray for them, right? Pray in that situation that God is showing that. Jesus did that too. The third thing is that like Jesus, I will commit myself to developing the core. I will commit myself to developing the core. And this goes for everyone here, is understanding that it's your responsibility, that you're going to be the one who is helping them. And, and the way we do this, the key to developing that, to developing the core is modeling and molding is modeling and molding. You are not going to teach somebody to do something that you don't do. Amen? You're going to be, they're going to be watching you and they're going to be seeing how you do it. And it was exactly what Jesus did. I was reading in the Master Plan Vaginalism and it was talking, yeah, he had the, the times where he sat down with them and was teaching. But most of his teaching was them seeing him work, seeing him going around and loving people. I don't know how many of you like the, that new, the new show that, uh, what's it called? The Chosen. How many of you here have watched the, Cho- watched the Chosen? Go and watch that. And it kind of, you know, it has, has this uh, liberty to, because, you know, they're trying to make this story expand and all this stuff. But they were watching Jesus. And I love how it shows that in, in one of the moments well, where Jesus is just, I think it's season two, where Jesus was healing people all day. I don't know if you remember that. He's healing them all day. And it's like all these people, there's this lion while his disciples are over there and Peter is, is fighting with Matthew and they're fighting amongst each other, this little group. And then Jesus comes at the end of the night and they're still there arguing. And Jesus is tired and it's that moment of going like, wow, while he's doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're here arguing about stupid stuff that doesn't matter. But why? Because he was modeling it to them. And people are going to make mistakes. There's going to be problems. And you're going to make mistakes even when you're modeling. But we need to learn to be consistent. Because once you're observing, what Robert was talking about, you're trying to observe. Once this starts and you're developing them, a switch needs to happen where they're observing you. They're watching you and the things that you are doing. 
modeling, for example, what it looks like to be a disciple. And at the time, a disciple was an apprentice. If we're not discipling people, and discipling basically means that I'm teaching you what I know to do, that I learned from somebody else. So when I first moved to, to the crossings, I actually lived with Robert for, for a year. Uh, like, I don't know why it happened that way. You know, he didn't know me from, from anywhere. He knew my dad, which should have given him some, you know, pause on there. But anyway, uh, and I, I remember, uh, like, I didn't have a job. I moved from Brazil. I had enough money to buy a car. They actually let me use their car to go to interviews to find a job. And I was like, they don't even know me. And it was this green little bug, you know, which people kept looking at me, you know, because it's kind of weird. But uh, I remember I remember just thinking, like, why would they let me use their car? Why would they let me come and live here? And today, like, I have I have three kids. We had to, I have a 10-month-old. And uh, we had to put my, my daughter, who was up in the baby room, in the other room. And I, we built another room in the basement. You know why? Because I learned that you want to have a place to have people so that you can always, we've, we've had people living with us for a long time. Where did I learn that? I learned it from Robert. I lived with his son for four years. I learned those things because they model those things to me. I've let people use my car. You know, people have hit my car, the same car, this little, this little uh, blue Honda Civic hybrid. That my wife it's like a toy like it, it's we don't have it anymore but we let we let people use that car three times people hit had accidents in that car and then you keep thinking it's like would i stop you stop letting people use my car because people have told me that ben by that moment you probably need to stop and i was like no that's just things robert modeled that for me he showed that how that was and that's part of being a disciple is is sometimes you think you know i'm gonna compromise here if you compromise, you forget that that's the example. That's what they're going to see you doing, and they're going to go, I'm going to compromise on that because, because Robert did, because somebody else did. And Rita, Rita was there, too. She's back there. I just saw her. She was the one who hit me in the head with the two-by-four one day and, and laughed about it. But anyway, uh, but no, Rita also welcomed me into her home, and, and, and I was loved because of that. How do we know those things? Because Robert modeled it from other people. From looking at God's word, if you go to uh, John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. How do we know what God's like? Jesus was saying, look at what I'm doing. This is how do you know how to love people. Show it through him. How do we know and how do we model that? We look at Christ. We look at the people that came before. So your example is so important. If you're going to be able to develop a core, what are they going to reproduce? If they're looking at you, don't you get like that kind of, <laughs> it's kind of scary sometimes? Of going, if, if they're going to do what I do, like I need to make sure that I'm doing what Christ is doing. I need to make sure that I'm modeling that, that I'm molding through instruction, encouragement, and correction. There has to be time that you're going out with these people and just doing life together. Are they at your homes? Are they around you to see when you go to a restaurant? Do they realize how you interact with the, with the, with the person that's serving you? Or are you, are you interacting with the person there in a good way that would be what Christ would do? Or are you just like anybody else? Because the people that you're trying to develop, they're watching you. Every moment that you do things, 
And let me tell you, it's not will they imitate. It's what will they imitate. Because they're for sure going to imitate things that you do. And uh, Paul, who, who didn't get it directly from Christ, you know, he, he had the interactions with them, but he learned from other people. But it also says here in 2 Timothy 3, 10, 11, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He's saying, look, you saw all these things. You were there. And Jesus said the same, now that you know those things, you see me do it, go and do it. There's another passage in uh, in 1 Thessalonians. And go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2 to understand this thing about imitating people. And it says this, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. How, do we, how are we going to be okay with suffering if people don't see us going through suffering? If we haven't seen others do it, I saw, I've seen Robert and Carrie and so many in our church. One time when the, when a pipe burst in the other building that they had and destroyed all the stuff that was there. And I heard about it because it was in one of our group meetings and I was like, it's devastated. It's like, God, what are you doing? So I called Robert and him and Carrie were there, the church walking through the church. And, and I didn't, I didn't hear him crying or complaining. They're just looking and say, oh, look what happened over there. Look what happened over here. And they're like, you know, God's going to take care of this. God's going to be there for us. I had issues. We had issues when we planted a church with a building. People thought that, that our, our church plan hadn't worked out because we hadn't been able to get this building. That's not the truth. But this building didn't work out. And I look at it and I was like, I feel guilty about the things that were there. But one thing I knew, it wasn't about the building. How did I know that? Because I've seen others that come before me. And it wasn't about the building. We went and met somewhere else and continued doing the work. You see things going on. People are going to watch you and the things that you're doing. Make sure that you have something that, that it's, it's about Christ, that what he's doing in your life. And I'm just going to add with Paul, that if you look at 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, it's really foundational if you're going to build a, plant a church or build things. Because in chapter 1, you have Paul saying, I know you. And in chapter 2, he says, you know me. The most frequently repeated phrase in, in chapter 2 is, you know. You know this about me. You know how I cared for you. You know about this. You know about that. And I think it's significant that probably, I think Thessalonica may have been his favorite church. It seems to be one of the best churches there. I don't, th I don't think it's accidental that the best church was the one that knew Paul best. He says more about them knowing him in the, to the Thessalonians than any other, past, any other church in the New Testament. But my question for you guys is, if they know you really well, is that going to be a good thing? Honestly, is it going to be a good thing? If they know your commitment to sharing your faith and to evangelism, if they know your commitment to helping the hurting, if they know your commitment to the way you interact in your marriage, if they know your commitment to your kids, and understand, none of us are perfect. When Ben lived with us, I'm sure he got to see, you know, my wife out of line on several occasions. I'm, I'm just positive, probably. That he got says his wife and not himself. That's, that's yeah, <laughs> that he got to see that because. But honestly, but I think Ben would tell you that probably after he moved out, that he had a, a vision for marriage that was different. Absolutely. That he wanted 
to imitate. Not because either one of us are perfect, because we both are imperfect. I think probably he saw approach to his children. He grew up in a the home of a missionary, but was suicidal. His dad got him over here and talked to me and see if we could get him to come over because he was afraid he was going to lose his life and lose his son. I think he got a different approach to children. And I know that because Ben has said, you know, really the model I never saw what you guys do. And what we do, quite frankly, doesn't require any talent. Praise God for that. It's never a matter of talent when it comes to criminal things that make a difference. God has not put talent as an essential ingredient in the replication process. It's about submission. It's about imitation of Jesus. It's about a willingness to listen to him. It's all things that regardless of your age, your intellect, your socioeconomic standing, you can do that. But the thing is, they're going to get to know you. I, I was teaching a class at a, at a church planning thing one time, and I said, guys, how's it going to be if everybody imitates you? And we had like 20 people who want to plant churches in there. And so, and I said, so you guys have had one conversion in, on average in your ministry a year. So you have 20 churches and, and you'll have 20 people that are Christian after a year. And we're not even talking about those that fall away. So you're not evangelistic. They're not going to be evangelistic. So if you're going to, if you're going to form a core, you go to the crowd and you're, you go, okay, I'm here. And what I'm looking for is people that Jesus is going to lead me, that the Holy Spirit is going to help me to see. And out of that, as you observe, you begin to call a group of people that you're going to invest in more time. And for us, for, for a lot of times when there's somebody like that, it meant them living with us. Sometimes, usually because of difficulty, like, you know, with Ben's dad, he wanted him over here. But a lot of times it's because of things that are going on. It may be because of a drug habit that they've had that we've had people live with us. It may be because their parents, Marlon, who works with our youth group, stayed with us most of his, from sixth grade to, to high school, most of the time was spent with us because, quite frankly, his environment at home was horrible. His dad was in and out of prison. It was just his, his brother was also a dealer and a lot of bad stuff that's there. But it's in those situations that you go, and hey, I get to see who they really are, and they get to see who you are. So Jesus went to the crowd, and he called out a group from that crowd, and when he did, he pulled them close. And that pulling close is what Ben's talking about, committing to develop them. You cannot develop people from a distance. You can impress people from a distance, but you can't develop them from a distance. And so you got to pull them close. When the Bible says you're the salt, you can't just wave or throw salt at something and have it influence, right? The very principle of salt is proximity. And so you got to get people close and you've got to invest in them. And investment is always risky and it's always expensive. But you got to do it anyway. And then finally, like Jesus, I'll commit myself to empowering the core. And the key to empowering the core is ordaining an opportunity. Ordaining an opportunity. Ordain, ordain defined means to make someone, this is to make someone, a priest or a minister. Now, here's what you need to recognize. If they are disciples of Jesus, you don't make them that. You just officially recognize what God has made them. When somebody becomes a disciple, they are a minister. When someone becomes, a, becomes like Christ, they are a priest. That's what Peter says. That we're, a, we're kind of a weird people. We're a royal priesthood. So you need to let them know. You've got to go, okay, here's your role. And then you've got to give them opportunity. Remember when Jesus called his disciples 
In Mark, he says, Jesus went to a mountaintop. He calls those that he wanted. They came to him. He called them, designating them apostles that they might be with him and send them out to preach. Before he did anything with them, he had a vision of what they were going to be. Immediately when they called into closeness, they were informed because of about you going out to do something else. And you've got to make sure that you're giving opportunity for that along the way. So Ben is on the church plant. He never thought he would be the preaching minister on the church plant in a million years. But through a series of times, we're saying, like, like Ben, listen, you know, you're a servant of God and you need to be willing to serve wherever. And he was very willing. There was He goes, I don't think I'm necessarily cut out for this, but I want to do whatever God wants. That's the kind of person you're looking for. But, the, but you've got to give opportunity. And so let me encourage you to, to, to find opportunities. The great thing about having a church that's based upon small groups is that you have a chance to give lots of people an opportunity to grow. You know, I tell people, we're going to have some phenomenal shepherds if we don't stop, if we don't stop, you know, if we'll stop sending them out on church plants. I mean, literally, we've sent out in, since 2000, when, when they went out in, in 2014, over 100 people have left our assembly, the crossings, and are now functioning in other places, you know, three other church plants. And we're helping the church plant in Tulsa, and we're building a new building next door to this. It's going to be great, but I'm just, I'm ready to have it built, not not because I, we'll be able to use it, but it's just a distraction from our church planting mission. It really is. But you give them an opportunity. So if you look at Jesus' ministry, again, like Jesus, you'll find that he sends them out and gives them an assignment. And when they come back, remember the commission, they come back, they go, you go out and do this, don't do this, don't do that, and come back. And they say, came back and they reported, and they were excited, and they said, man, Jesus, he said, listen, it's really cool because even the demons obeyed our voice. And that's pretty cool. It, you know, you can do, you know, if you guys ever watch a movie about exorcism, it'd be pretty cool to be able to do that, wouldn't it? You know, just speak a word and, and the demon, you know, you know, takes off. You know, you go, hey, don't even need a movie. We could just have a 30-second commercial. I handle that, right? But Jesus doesn't go rah, rah, rah. He goes, hey, uh, don't rejoice that the demons obey you. Rejoice that you're a minister. You know what he's saying there? He's teaching them. I gave you an opportunity. I'm not sure you got what I wanted you out of it. The most exciting thing you ought to do is about no matter what happens, whether the demons obey you or not, you have that the foundation of your ministry, or you'll go out and you'll think your big deal is to help go out and people rather than helping people find the things that you got. A poor thing. Exciting over what's important. Spectacular over what's really spiritual. And so you got to give them that, that, that idea. you got to give them and go, hey, okay, you are going to do this. Now, be careful. Don't give a title too quickly. The Bible says don't lay hands on people quickly and become protectors in their sin. There are people that will want a title because they want recognition. You want people who want a title because it gives them the ability to influence for Jesus. So don't do it too quickly. So give responsibilities before you give titles. But also there comes a time when you have to say, Ben, you're our church planter. Jake, you're our campus minister. Steve, you're the new small group leader over there. And little things along the way, you're the ministry, but ordain them and then let them go. For us, it's the small groups. Man, we give people our small groups. And, and again, you're a small group leader and we just go, okay, we don't have a lot. We have very, very clear expectation for our leaders. But how are they going to win the loss? I don't know how they're going to win the loss. For some of it's Clint. What's the last two activities you guys have done in your small groups? 
A game night. Board games? Oh, for some of you going, oh yeah, and the rest of them are going, no thank you. I get bored at games too. Now shrimp oil I can handle, okay? That I can do. We had people do some crazy, I mean, just some silly things. that I, I They had a, an adult Nerf war at one of our adult groups. And you're going, that's just weird, you know, just a bunch of adults, you know, sitting around shooting each other with Nerf games. My kind of game, you know what I'm saying? All right. I can be a kid and not have to be embarrassed like I am on Sunday morning when I preach, you know. My illustrations are sometimes not even very juvenile. I don't care what event we do, but we're watching to see what happens. I don't care what night you meet on. But we're watching to see how you're doing in that. I don't care what, 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 you know, and there's a lot of I don't care lists there, but we're watching to see how you're developing. And when there's a problem, just like with the apostles, we can step in and we can help them understand where they're going to go. But it starts with a core. If you don't have a solid core on your church plant, you're going to be in trouble. Now, the core doesn't mean a huge group, if you, but you don't have four or five, you got problems. And you can tell how solid your core is. The easiest way to say, how do I know if my core is solid? Just how have they done at developing the people in their Proverb that says, if you're leading and no one is following, And so you need to make sure. So, guys, make sure that you are Jesus. You talk about forming a core. And I don't mean that in some way you're equal to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Christians, by definition, are supposed to be little Jesuses, little Christ. We're going to be students who are trying to become like a teacher. Follow his methodology. 